0: beginning with the 33rd verse. And when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garment among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there were also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Lord, help us to understand for the sake of our lives and our souls today what we have just read. From the height of place and time, we can see so very clearly from where we stand today what really took place there in Jerusalem these many years ago. And as we stand and look, we can see in our mind's eye the gates of the city as they're flung open and this great crowd of people come pouring through with these three desperate men to be crucified and how they labor up the hill with their cross. And there they fling these three victims on the cross and nail their hands and their feet and then put the cross in an upright position and drop it in the holes that were made to sustain and to hold the cross in an upright position. And we look and we see that something is different about this situation. It is not the usual crucifixion because the crowds here are crying with a loud voice and they're noisier than usual and there are more people present. And so we wonder what the situation is. Is it being that the Roman government as crucifying another one that has led an insurrection to fail and he is a very popular leader and they are here to voice their deep resentment against what the Roman government is doing. And then we know from where we stand today that that's not so. That the real reason that there was such a great crowd and that they were so boisterous simply because there was one dying uh, that they wanted to die. And he was not one of the thieves but one who claimed to be the Son of God. And there were those standing there that day that uh, helped make that cross, uh, took their religion very seriously, and they thought that he was an imposter and they wanted to make sure that he died and did not escape. And so they were there to see that this sentence uh, that this one had been given was carried out. And they were crying with a great loud voice for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And from where we stand in time, we can look back and see that not all of the crowd hated the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that it was only a few of them, really, that misled the crowd. And because of their position, because of their authority, uh, the great populace went along and cried out for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we see the making of a cross and a dying of the Son of God along with two thieves now we would be glad that this is a thing of the past and this belongs to the past and that we have nothing further to do with it and yet if you would turn into the book of Hebrews along about the sixth chapter and along about that sixth verse you would find these words written the last part of the sixth verse since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. And which this writer is saying, there is an attitude, there is an action, there is a position on our part that brings us from the locked past and can make it a living reality of these lives of ours today. In other words, dear friend, it is a real possibility that you within your own being can crucify the Lord Jesus Christ anew. This is the thinking of the right of the Hebrews, but I do not have to have that to give me the authority to make the statement because, you see, I have to check no further than my own life to know that this is a real possibility. Now, it would be wonderful, would it not, if this was a thing of the past and there is where it was and there is where we could leave it. But you see, there are two things within the scripture that I read to you this morning that caused me, to say the least, to pause and to give some thought to what the writer is trying to tell us about our inheritance and about our part and place in the kingdom of God and about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the one that I would call first to your attention, the one word, it says there they crucified him, and that word there, What does it mean in light of the book of Hebrews? Is this something that just happened in Jerusalem on Calvary's hill? Yes, the physical part of it is so. And that is once and forever, never to be done again. But the spiritual part of it, as the scripture is speaking, can be faced and acted out again and again within these hearts and souls of ours. Yes, I would like for it to be only a history place in Jerusalem, on Calvary, and that be that. But I was thinking again, as I saw something on TV here this past week, about the thing that happened to the Jewish people in years gone by, in Nazi Germany. And I remember a little town, I've forgotten the name of it, I know it was close to the Rhine River though, where they had a small concentration camp. It wasn't one of the big ones, it was a small one. And I remember being on the grounds of that uh, concentration camp after it was liberated. And I thought to myself, as even at that young age and standing there as a soldier, I thought to, to myself that this must be none other than the place of hell upon the face of this earth. And I think in a certain sense it was. And I think about it in light of the scripture that I read to you this morning. And I think, could this be The place, is this the there that Scripture is speaking of? Could it be a possibility? Wherever cruelty and hate is manifested on a part of us in relation to another human being. And then I think about the word there. I remember a doctor one time, a member of the church called me. And says, Don, I would like for you to come over and talk to a, a lady There's a patient of mine. He says, I've done everything that I know medically for her. She doesn't really need a medical doctor, but she needs someone to talk to because she is in a very bad state. And said, if you'll come, she's here now. And says, you can have my office and talk to her. And so I went over and he gave me one of the rooms in his office. And I didn't know the lady, I'd never met her before. But over a period of three or four months, we talked together. And I could readily understand what the doctor was talking about, the medical man. He knew. He was a very wise man, to say the least. And it came down to it that this lady had to face the situation, a hard decision, whether she was going to continue to live with this man she was married to or whether she was going to leave him for health's sake. Undoubtedly, he was one of the cruelest, meanest, most insensitive men uh, that I have ever heard of upon the face of this earth. And she made the decision that she was going to stay with him. And the doctor told me that medically that if she did, if this was her decision, and said she would be dead within a year. And that's precisely what happened. She decided to stay, and she died. And I think about it. Is that the there? Is this the place? And then I think about this beloved land of ours, where living is so wonderful and so fine, and where we have everything in such a beautiful, gracious way. And then I think that here is a place, more than any other place upon the face of this earth, where men are to be able to walk in love and dignity and honor and be able to express all the more wonderful, beautiful things of the heart and soul. I know in this land that we have such a disagreement uh, that there is hatred and that there is cruelty and that there are those things that take place that do not to do justice to this land because of the hate, the suspicion, and the fighting that goes on. Is this the place where the cross is made? And then I cease to look outside and I think about this own heart and soul of mine. And even being one who lives with a heart like yours, what a strange thing it is. And how it is frequent even with stranger situations, stranger thoughts, and stranger concepts to possess it and to master it. I think about the stubbornness of my own heart. Now, you wouldn't know I was stubborn unless I told you, would you? (laughs) Oh, what things frequent this heart of ours. To do it an injustice and to do it in how prejudiced we are, even the best of us, and how sweet this prejudice is to us. And evil is more inviting than good, and wrong is more gleefully entered into than that which is honorable and which is good and which is loving. Sometimes when I consider this heart of mine, this heart of a human being, and this life of mine, I think about a friend of mine that buys up estates. And some time ago, he bought an estate to here uh, within the Highlands. And he invited me to come over to this big old, beautiful, gracious home. And he said, I think there's two or three things over here that you like. And he called it junk. He knew I was a collector of junk, you see. That didn't encourage me too much. But I prevailed myself of the opportunity and went over... And did find a couple old trunks over there that I just had to have and paid him a dollar piece for them. <laughs> well, anyway, I walked through that house and seemingly the estate had been taken over by a bank. The people who lived there, they didn't have any children or anything and no one, they turned it over to the bank. And the executor of the estate to get rid of it turned it into cash and that's the way they do it and he comes up with this house. And it was just like the folk had walked out. And I thought to myself as I went through that house, I felt like I was intruding almost on something private. And I thought how these two, this man and his wife, this man and woman, like you and I, how they had toiled and labored over the years together, together, all that was in that house that they called theirs. Now sold. To someone completely and totally indifferent and someone who looked at it and said it was junk to be disposed of, to whoever, or whatever, are carried off to the garbage. And I think of this heart of mine, is that what I am doing in this life, gathering these things that someone else would look at later on and call junk? Or do I have the possibility, and have I set this heart and soul of mine in such a fashion that I have committed to gather those things in it that are eternal? And that is what I purpose within my heart and my soul to do. But I take note of the fact that it's a lot more difficult to do it uh, than for it to be done. And I say in my own heart, in keeping with the spirit of the writer of the book of Hebrews, is it possible that I too can build a cross in my own heart and soul and crucify the Lord Jesus Christ anew? And i know that's a possibility for me and for you and then there's a second thing that causes me to pause and to give some thought there they that word they bothers me too i wish they had named all of them that were in the making of the cross of the lord jesus christ and been over and done and i wouldn't have to give any thought to it at all i wish they would have said there was pilate and judas and the rest of them and that would have been it And we wouldn't have anything like is written in the rest of the scriptures about our possibility that we too can be involved in the making of a cross. Have you ever wondered about the type of sin of man's heart and mind that made the cross of long ago? And friend, it's not too hard for us to understand what made that cross. And let me tell you some of the things that stood there and were present at the foot of the cross and those people who stood there. First of all, you know hate stood there that day. Hate stood there. Yes, only a few people hated the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't know enough about him to really hate him. But there were those there that day that hated him with a burning hate. They were able with half truths, to inflame the crowd in such a way that they too would call for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear friends, I know exactly why these people hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And I knew that there was an insidious depth to their hate that doesn't appear on the surface. And if you think that they hated him just because he claimed to be the Son of God, I think you would miss it a thousand miles. And I see it something like this. I'm thinking about a young preacher. He was a young preacher and was uh, preaching in a Methodist church, but now he has a Ph.D. and in charge of a great library here within our city. But I remember this young man. One of the most brilliant young preachers we had. In times gone by, they used to sign an older preacher, an old preacher, to a young one. And I had the responsibility sort of looking after this young man. We don't do this anymore, but I thought it was a good thing. And so I had the privilege to be with this young man. He had a very capable mind. He had one of the most beautiful dispositions that I have ever met and any person upon the face of this earth bar none, and I've met a lot of great people, and I've known them personally. This young man had a command of the English language that I envied. And he had a spirit that I even envied more. And sometimes being in the presence of this young man, completely without God, and would you believe the church that he had at that present time One thing they knew, among other things, that they did not need him as their preacher. They just really didn't want him. And let him know, and let the district superintendent know, and let the bishop know they didn't want him. Oh, they had their reasons. One reason is that he rode a bicycle to make his calls. And then the church wanted to build. And he didn't want to build. He wanted to use that money some other way. That's a switch, isn't it? I've always gotten in trouble because I wanted to build. Him. <laughs> and you know, I know why, at one of the deepest levels that they'd never admit to, why they didn't like this young man. Because you see, even to be in his presence, there was something about him that brought you under conviction. Did me. And for a while I couldn't figure out why I didn't want to go see him. <clears throat> And then I figured it out, it wasn't too hard. Because you see, he brought me face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ in a most living way that I was uncomfortable with. And when that happens, dear friends, you're going to do one or two things. Either you're going to hate the person or you're going to fall on your knees somewhere and ask God to forgive you and to help you to do better. And when these people stood before the Lord Jesus Christ, I know what they must have felt because it's an awesome situation when you stand before Christ and you realize you're in his presence either you're going to hate him and want to get rid of him or you're going to fall on your face and surrender to him there's no other way one of the two and that's exactly what happened to these people of long ago they hated him and they hated him because he made them feel inferior isn't that tragic prejudice stood there the most insidious kind of prejudice and that is that self-serving can. I suppose all of it is to a degree, is it not? And I had a very humorous experience this past week or so. The cabinet, you know, was in session making the appointments, or there were a week ago. And that's enough to even know it to make a Methodist preacher sort of nervous. <laughs> you, know, you don't know what's going to happen, what those seven men and the bishop are going to come up with, and no telling what they might do. They may get carried away. So I was with one of my black brothers, a Methodist preacher, and he says, Don, you know, he says, when I know that the cabinet's meeting, and it's made up of all those white people that uh, I get sort of nervous. Said, uh, I just get nervous about the situation. Says I don't really trust them to take care of me and my ministry. And I said, well, I didn't know any color had anything to do with it because I felt that way all my life. You know? <laughs> I never felt that they could really take care of it the way that I wanted taken care of. And when we stop to think about where we stand and look at the situation for what it really is, this kind of devastating prejudice that gets in our way. You see, they could never believe. Look at the situation. You see, they cried out. Both the crowd and the rulers cried out, Now, if you are the Son of God and the old thief on the cross, if you are the Son of God, why don't you save yourself and us too? And if you're the Son of God, why don't you come down from the cross? You see, they could not believe in a million years that Jesus was on the cross simply because he consented to be on the cross and because he was there because he loved people. There had to be another reason why he was on the cross. It couldn't be because he had a pure heart and was there simply because he loved God and he loved people. No, it can't be right. Oh, how many times I've heard within the church people doing different things and taking different positions and we, the church, the other part of the church would accuse them of being something as a negative. I can't really believe that they're doing it out of the love of their heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. There must be another reason somewhere. Listen to us. Sometimes when we are in our meetings and what we in an insidious way accuse one another of even to the place where we doubt our sincerity. And that's precisely what was tied up here at the foot of the cross. Uh, They were so prejudiced against the Lord Jesus Christ here, perfection stood before them personified, and they knew that it had to be for some other reason other than that he loved the Lord Jesus Christ and loved his fellow man. So let's see you save yourself. That's exactly what they'd have done, you see. And then the critic was there, If Jesus went to the field, he was working. If he was at meal, he didn't eat right. If he healed someone on the Sabbath, that was wrong. And if he washed, that wasn't quite right either. And so they went about their deadly business, criticizing everything, anything that Jesus Christ did. And fear was there, the kind that is expressed in old Pilate. Pilate knew what was right, but he didn't have the courage do what he knew was right he didn't have the courage to live up to his convictions my friends one of the things that I have been a witness to through my ministry the bad things that have really happened is not that a few bad men did things wrong but the great indictment that I have seen would bring against good men is because they know that something is not right and remain silent and they made a cross and they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. In the last place, it's not a complete and total loss there at the foot of the cross because there were those who standing there that day and were with the Lord Jesus Christ and had an expression of love. And they give to me a great feeling because they keep us from man, from being, and making the eternal mistake that was made there that day. Keep it from being completely a washout. Because I take note of the fact that there was one there that's filled with hope. Hope stood there at the cross too. And it is interesting to take note of where this hope was found. Here was a man dying with the Lord Jesus Christ. He had his hands nailed to the cross. He had his feet nailed to the cross. And he is here in this position, as he said himself, because he was guilty and deserved to die. And then in this awesome, awful position, he recognized that he is next to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And these hands of his are nailed. He couldn't even pick a flower from the field and take it and offer it to Jesus as a token of his devotion, commitment, and dedication. Nothing. Absolutely, totally destitute and poverty-stricken, nothing to offer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't that put us to shame sometimes of those of us who think we have nothing to offer to Christ? Is your hands nailed to a cross? Are your feet nailed? Well, look at this man. In this type of a situation, completely and totally helpless, looks to the Christ. The last words, good words that the Lord Jesus Christ heard was from this man. Remember me. I want to be with you wherever you are. And Jesus, in effect, said, It is done, you will be. Hope stood there. Forgiveness was there. These kind words of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Love stood there at the cross. Love in the person of Simon, the one who carried the cross for the Lord Jesus Christ, carried the cross that Jesus was not strong enough to carry. Love in the voice and heart of that soldier when he discovered that this is none other than the Son of God. A love in the presence of that woman that stood there at the foot of the cross with his family, part of the family, waiting out the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then love in the heart and mind of that thief that died there on the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear friends, I think about those who stood there at the cross and love and who were standing there because they did love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think about the opportunity that you and I have today, knowing what we know about what God has done and what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing hanging on the cross. And I think about these 40 days of Lent that you and I are called to give some special consideration to the kingdom, to the Lord Jesus Christ, in our own life. Isn't this a glorious time to be alive? And to have the knowledge that you and I have today in order that you and I can make the most of these opportunities that God has given to us today, and to make the most of it in such a way that will bring salvation to these souls of ours and will bring honor and glory to the kingdom of God. Oh my, what wisdom, what understanding, and how how greatly you and I are blessed today. What do you say let us as a church then make the most of these beautiful opportunities that we have oh our father help us then give us the courage the strength that we need to do what we need to do today as being the children of a living god amen